0: Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earle. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. I'm Amanda Earle and with me today is Barry Tullett. Hi, Barry.
1: Hello. Thank you for inviting me along.
0: Thanks for coming to us. And and you're in the UK and I'm in Canada. So hopefully we won't have any issues with our internet connection. Uh, But uh, so far, so good.
1: It's it's been brilliant. I must say the first, uh, first five minutes have been great.
0: That's right, and nobody else has heard them, so you know that's <laughs> too. I'm going to start by reading your bio and trying to pronounce to pronounce things right. So here, here, goes with the bio. Barry Tullett is a freelance graphic designer and senior lecturer, program leader at Lincoln School of Art and Design. He grew up in Walthamstow, East London, and studied at St Martin's School of Art and Chelsea School of Art. He's the author of The Magnificent Typewriter Art, a modern anthology published by Lawrence King in 2014. And along with Philippa Wood, he is part of a collective called The Case Room Press, an independent publisher whose work explores the function and format of the book from single limited editions to multiple copies from poetry to prose from the artist book to traditional print, from stencils to typewriters, from wooden metal type to litho and digital print processes. The duo collaborate with a number of illustrators, designers, painters, poets, sculptors, students, and musicians. Sounds like my kind of fun. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's a great, that's great.
1: I think that's the that's the um, the underlying the underpinning ethos of it is, is will it be a lark? You know, when you get to do a book with somebody, will it be will you enjoy doing it? Will it be fun? Yeah. And I think if it is fun, then that's then that's worth doing. Uh, I must I must say I'm actually we're now the University of Lincoln. Uh, we used oh, to be, it's the University. It's the School of Design within the College of Arts within the University of Lincoln. Not that it, it makes any big difference. It's still it's, it's still the same a thing. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, we've become go. part of the universities.
0: There you go. Well, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm afraid I don't know a thing about it. But I, I, that's something I could have researched for this episode, but I did not. So there, I had more it more more to me more. um, more relevant things to find out about. But uh, so I guess the first thing I wanted to talk about was the wonderful typographic Dante. So since 1987, you've been working on it and where you are using different obsolete technology for each section of the 100 cantos. So the 34 cantos of the Inferno are realized using the wooden metal type of letterpress printing. Thirty-three canter- cantos of Purgatory are created on the typewriter, and the thirty-three cantos of Paradise says, will be visualized with letter sets. So, um, and they are, they are yeah, I was going to say, it, yeah. it's, 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 I got it from the National Print Museum typographic Dante. Uh, so that I was going to say, is it still will be, or is it, or is it already?
1: Technically, it's, it is. Um uh, uh, I, I plan to. um uh, the, the work was uh, was was championed by Brenda Dermody. Uh, who's lives yeah. and works in Dublin and teaches at the uh, one of the, uh, the colleges there. And she was my external assessor for the course that I teach on in Lincoln. And we're both part of a, a group called the International Society of Typographic Designers mm. who run uh, student projects and student assessment uh, scheme. We run the education panel. So we've met and, and sort of spoken about our uh, sort of shared interests and things. And she came to Lincoln to do the um, assessing and the, and the show was... We had a new gallery space, and the work was in the gallery space. And she really loved it and wanted to exhibit it properly somewhere in, in, its, in full because it was just a selection of some pieces. Uh, so she sort of pushed, really, really sold it to the National Print Museum. And uh, at the time, I was, I, I'd finished Inferno nearly, I think I was about two illustrations all happy with, and I was quite away through poetry. And I was intending to do two illustrations for Paradise to show what it would be like for this show in Dublin. The first time it had been exhibited, on, you know, as a single exhibition of my work. It had been in a couple of shows before, which had been part of a bigger show. There's a there's a big exhibition of you and Gomringer, a, a big celebration of Ewan Gomringer. Ewan Gomringer? You and, Gomringer. And, um, yeah. and and my work was, in, was part of that in Derby, mm-hmm. but it was part of a, a bigger, wider context of work, you know and uh, it had been a little show a bit in Leeds but again just a selection so my plan was to make a, a real effort for this but then I got pneumonia and <laughs> I oh, yeah. the so I didn't quite get to, to complete as much as I wanted to complete but on the back of the exhibition at, in Dublin the South Bank London Poetry Library had picked it up and I managed to actually manage to get some of the paradise work completed for that so I think I completed Inferno Purgatory, and I've begun Paradise. It was the first time it had been seen by anybody. Then I was invited to show it at the National Centre for Craft and Design in the UK. And again, I, I made a I did finish Inferno, I did finish Purgatory, and I had a majority of pieces for Paradise. And then it was um, picked up by the Fruit Market Gallery in Edinburgh. And I actually managed to complete the entire run and finish the work, all 100 cantos. And then uh, I was in, I was invited to Munich. because Chris McKay that runs the Poetry Library in London, uh, wrote a book called The New Concrete, which I was Mm. in. And um, I was invited to Whitechapel to, for the book launch. And I performed a sound poem as part of the book launch. And I gave Chris a book of concrete poetry, not rock jokes. (laughs) <laughs> and he, thought, really? he yeah, <laughs> I actually do. And he he just loved this. He loved the sound poem and he loved this book of poetry. And he said, This is the kind of man I want to know more about, and it's he's quite bloke. So he sort of looked at my work and he saw the the false Dante stuff, and that's when he commissioned us, he, he asked us to invite to do the work. And on the back of that, I was invited to Munich for this event called the Klangfarben text event, which was a collaboration with six right. British poets and six German poets or German Austrian poets. And uh Straight from that, I was going up to Edinburgh for the launch of the fruit market show at the fruit market book fair. But it was just at the beginning of the COVID kind of pandemic, really. It was just yeah. a, a week later, it wouldn't have happened. We were in Munich and people were beginning not to, there was ha- signs up everywhere saying no handshakes, you know, no touching. And we were social distancing and all those things were just coming in and it wasn't quite a state of nerves. And I got back to the UK and decided it wouldn't be very safe to go straight up to Edinburgh, considering I'd just come from Munich. Right. Um, so I thought I'd go up later, uh, they were and, and we'd do an event. We, uh, it was agreed by, uh, that we'd do an event a bit later, maybe a, a weekend after um, where I would be at. And uh, then the, the lockdown happened, and I never got to see the show. I never got to Edinburgh to see my own work. So oh, it's wow. been edited in its entirety once, and I never, I never got to <laughs> see
0: Wow. I have, I have to take a small detour because you, you said so many interesting things that I want to go back a little bit. Concrete poetry <laughs> knock-knock jokes. Can you can you just give us an idea, a sense of what, what that is? Well, I don't um, you know what a knock-knock joke is, but, you know, concrete poetry knock-knock.
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, Ewan Gomering is one of his, I'm pronouncing that wrong, I think, sorry. Uh, one of his famous poems is Silence. Yes. Yeah. So it's the word silence. I think if you look at it on the page and read it, it's silence, 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 silence. So there's a grid of the word silence, and the middle word is missing, which is the silence, which is the concrete bone. So you and as' knock knock joke was knock 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 knock. Knock, 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 knock. So it's a translation. <laughs> and Dom Svester Huadar
0: wrote,
1: uh, was it Dom Svester Huadar? Wasn't it? It's Frog Pond Plop. Okay. You know, it was one of his haiku. And so, yeah. uh, door, hand, knock was the concrete poetry joke version. And <laughs> so it was just, it was loads of, of translations of, of concrete poets. Work into into knock knock jokes. Oh, I'll, send okay. I'll send you a copy. I'm
0: not gonna. I'm not gonna. I I, I would really like that. That's fantastic. <laughs> Inside jokes, really, for for concrete
1: poets. Yeah, it's a niche market in terms of yeah. People like knock knock jokes, concrete poetry, and yeah, it's it's a niche market. It is. It's,
0: it's, a, you know, it's not big sellers. I would say. <laughs> yeah. I've,
1: never, I've never yet produced a big seller. <laughs>
0: That's great. Yeah, and the other thing too is I'm just really interested by how much it feels like your work has sort of. Um, led to your going to do i mean except for during covid but uh, you know led to your being in so many different places and and getting to meet so many different people do you feel like the work has kind of driven that in a way or or did you Um, yeah
1: i I, I remember there's a i think there's a a question sort of the celebrity question is i remember someone working on a magazine called the list and uh talking to someone about, about content for it. And I think the publisher said one of the one of the great things to do is have a, have a celebrity list questions things. You can just, you know, get a celebrity to tell you the answers to what's your favourite bridge or, you know, your favourite, your best kiss or have you ever said I love you or not mean it? And he said, you see them all over magazines because they're nice fillers, you know, you know, it'll fill a space and, and it's vaguely interesting. And so I always read those things and think about, you know, how they fill the space with the questions. And one of them said, uh, can you name a book that's changed your life? That's one of the questions they ask people. And I was thinking, actually, Dante's Inferno, Dante's Divine right. kind of deepens my life right. because uh, it got me. The work I did as a student uh, got me my first teaching job in Edinburgh because the work had been published in um, uh, Baseline magazine, and Maggie Gordon, that was the head, head of the course, graphic design course at Edinburgh, was was looking looking through Baseline, wishing that, that, that someone like that could come and do some teaching on her course. And I just moved to Edinburgh, and um, so I turned up on the doorstep. As she said, redraggled and cold, carrying my portfolio, <laughs> and uh, it was full of the work she just looked at, literally just looked at. So I got my first teaching at Edinburgh through that work.
0: Wow! And
1: then through that work, you know, I've 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 met, I've, I've had the huge pleasure of being exhibited in in Dublin and in London and in Edinburgh, you know, and, and, and the National Centre of Craft and Design, and. I've met people through those through those conversations. The work's been in Stephen Heller's book Type Hell's Tales. It's been in Baseline, it's been in um, uh, uh, the new concrete, you know it's 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 been in various publications. And the back of all that, I got invited to Munich to do this performance piece and sound poetry. The I mean, the weird thing is I'm not a poet. that's the weirdest thing about it all we you know.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not a poet.
0: Well I I have a big problem with the word with having to call oneself even a poet or a visual poet or anything like even like making a Judith we I I I really wanted the title to be make like uh, Judith women making visual poetry because almost every woman I talk to about visual poetry says I'm not a visual poet it's I, (laughs) I do this stuff and I don't even know so so my first thing is I, and I, it's hard to do in a bio to not include for me the word poet because it's just shorter and you only have so many words but but so I like to say making rather than rather than the title of the, and especially poet with a capital p like it just it just really bothers me like I don't it just feels too much like I do a lot of things I'm a tea drinker that could be my capitalization master. I think that's
1: I think that's really interesting the uh, you know people ask you what you do mm-hmm. you know parties and things what do you do I remember yeah. one of my one of my foundation tutors talking about this idea of what do you do, and he said what what he said what do I do I you know you, you see me I, I teach I teach on the foundation course, um I see me and I am actually a fine artist who has a practice and I, I, I paint, yeah. and he was quite a famous successful painter looking back when I looked at work later I thought quite oh, yes he really he was seriously that was what he was, but he said you know you might also look at me and say you're oh, the guy that watches EastEnders or a soap opera, Exactly. You know, or the you' the guy that makes model ships. that's what you do. You make model ships, or you yeah. know, what you do is you, you you look at Instagram all night, you know, it it. so that idea of what you do, I think. And I do know, like you say, I know poets with a capital p. you know I know proper poets I don't
0: want to be proper or a poet, so that is, that's just describing. <laughs> I was at a I was at a couple of years ago, I was at this uh, uh, speed dating um thing with a bunch of other women. And they were very different from the type of people I've met because they were mostly government workers and they weren't right. They weren't right. Like they were writing, but not like creative. Well, they were sure they were writing creatively because they were government workers, but you know what I mean? They're not writing like, like the kind of stuff I I do. And, and so I was asked constantly, so what do you do? What do you do for a living? And I said, well, I write and they say, um, They say, Do you have anything published? I said, I have a few things. I don't make a lot of money from it. And they say, Oh, so it's just a hobby then. Crash. I think, yeah. There was
1: a a, a, a cartoon recently, and had two people talking. And one of them said, What's your dream job? And the other one said, Why would I dream of labor?
0: Exactly.
1: You know, yeah, I, I, I think if, what makes you happy, writing, you know, makes you happy, whether or not it, it generates an income is a different thing entirely. Right.
0: Yeah. You and know, it doesn't just-
1: mean, because I, I printing makes me happy, letterpress, typewriter mm-hmm. art, that makes me happy. Um, I can't make any money from it, so I, I, I'm i lucky enough to be able to teach the stuff that I love. You know, and I, I work freelance, which is not very much anymore, but I do little bits and bobs. Um, I'm very lucky to work for people at the EU pre-edinburgh university press and I still get work from them but uh yeah it's 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 as though if it doesn't make money it doesn't count but you know that's actually what makes you happy
0: that's it it's it's a strange thing like to be told you that what you what you sort of your life's work is your hobby you know that's just your hobby but sometimes when I'm at a party And I really get that kind of, not that I've been to a party a long time. I have once actually, I once toyed with the idea of saying phone sex operator, just because it's something I want to do when I'm 80 and, uh, you know, as to a way to make money, if that still exists. And also just because like, it's so annoying to be asked. So what do you do? You know, like, it's like, you have to take. I think
1: that the the, the correct phrase is, is a phone sex operator. It's quite funny because your voice sounds really familiar.
0: I go. That would be a good answer, yeah. And I say, yeah, but that was for free, so it's different. But yes,
1: There was a another cartoon. Another cartoon is a couple uh, who who weren't talking. You know, in in the morning, they were just having coffee and breakfast, and they were they were no longer communicating. And they both go to their jobs, but they the the, the woman was moonlighting as a, a sex telephone sex operator, and the bloke. Uh, was there, and there was a really weird conversation about something to do with um, I don't know what it was now, but it was quite a odd conversation. It wasn't particularly sexual, it was just an odd conversation. That got him he, 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 interested. Yeah. This, and they, we were <laughs> they were talking, they were talking to each other, but didn't know it. But and when they go home in bed, she's lying in bed and he, he, he she says, "Oh, I found a really interesting thing out today," and, and says what it was they were talking about. Yeah. So that was cool.
0: That's, cool. That's funny. That's good. So about about I see how see how I, I warned you that we'd probably have a lot of uh, uh, winding paths here in our conversations. So about about um I guess the you you uh, kindly mailed me a set of prints by Brenda Dermody, which well she she were her, her reinterpretations of them, and they're gorgeous. And I, I have uh, several of them on my living room wall. Um, yeah, really happy with those. They're just so beautiful. Um, what? Uh, what gave you? What? How did you get started working with uh, with Dante? Um
1: us go a got long way. Yeah. <laughs> As it if, if you were got collaborators. Got a, yeah, yeah. He reached out to me. I actually was at a book fair, and I had the, uh, <laughs> the, the dummy of one of the books uh, at the book fair just to show. I wasn't going to sell it. It was just a dummy, you know, a, a, with a, an artist book, but it was a one off, you know, I made. It wasn't. Please. And someone came up to him and, said, oh, and pointed at Dante Alighieri. He said, is, is, is this you? I said, No, no, that's the poet. I, I did the typographic illustrations. Said, oh, is he, is he here? <laughs> no, he's just gone for coffee. It'd be a while. Just, <laughs> he's dead. He's dead. I'm sorry he's dead. I don't want to break it to you, but he died. It's um, like
0: 700 years ago now. Yeah, <laughs> 700 years ago. He's,
1: he's not coming back. I don't think he went out for coffee, but I've not seen him for a while. Uh, I, I, there, were, there was a I lived in London, and uh, London was either a lot smaller or um, Essex was a lot closer because you could walk to the sign that said Essex, County of Essex. And someone at one point, I was with some friends, and we were walking to the cinema, I think, and we passed this in the road. There's a red line spray painted in the road, and it said "Abandon all hope, ye who enter Essex," <laughs> which I thought was really funny.
0: Yeah,
1: I didn't know why it was funny. I thought it was really funny. And my friend, who was far more educated than me, he'd read all the classics, he'd read. Uh, Ulysses, and you'd read the Odyssey and you'd read Dungeons and Dragons, you know, uh, rule books for role-playing. Uh, he said, oh, it's from Dante. And I was really interested in this. I'd like to say that I rushed out and bought a, a, a translation of Dante. You know, I read it there and I didn't. I read, I, read, uh, I was into science fiction, you know, as, a, as a, t- a teenager. And I read Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell's oh, yeah. version Inferno, you know, the, the science fiction version, which I thought was just brilliant. Oh, really? And then I, I read a, 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 a comic adaption of it. Uh, which I read and which I thought was just really interesting. Mm. And then I actually read a Dungeon Dragons Dungeon Masters version of it, you know, so <laughs> I didn't get out much. And then finally, finally, I actually did read The Inferno. I, I bought Dorothy L. Sayer's translations. Mm. But because I like the Lord Peter Wimsey stories, you know, I like the I liked her Linter Winter novels, so I bought her version of the book. And I'd always wanted to go to art school. And I had this vague idea of doing some work based around it. So I had, you know, um, I remember uh, one of my tutors saying that the the three people you like when you start art school at the time, in the early 80s, it was Salvador Dali, Gustave Doré, and Alphonse Mucha. Mm -hmm. And I loved Alphonse Mucha, and I loved Gustave Doré's illustrations for him, and and I loved Salvador Dali, you know. So I was uh, struck out really badly, I thought, you know. But... uh, I still like them, but I, I must say that yeah, I moved on to other versions of the, of the illustrating films. I had this idea that I want to do something with it, but I was never good enough an illustrator to do it. Uh, and when I was at Chelsea doing my degree, I was doing some... In the first year, we got introduced to the Letterpress Studio. And we had to set a Lonely Hearts advert, which I guess you may remember from the days before the internet. If you wanted to meet somebody, you put a lonely hearts ad in a in, in a, a listings magazine. Yeah, missing um, connections kind of
0: thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There was yeah. there was things there was there was a I saw you column where you write I saw you in the lift at the Traverse Theatre. Yeah, you wore, you wore grey, I wore blue. Our eyes met. Fancy a coffee? You know, <laughs> or there was or there was a the lonely hearts one where you say you know. Um, boarding man of, of, in, in his 50s looking for a woman who likes uh, knock-knock jokes. And um, <laughs> I just I just type. you had to typeset one advert as an exercise in typesetting in letterpress to understand, you know, why, how letterpress worked and therefore how paystock worked.
0: Wow. <laughs> and I just
1: loved it. I, wrote, I, I think I typeset about 17 different adverts. I loved the wordplay. I loved the typography. I loved the fact you could print these things and make them real in colour because at the time you were doing paste up for all your artworks. So it was all black right. and white. And I loved the fact you can make additions. I loved the fact that this stuff was just kind of, I liked printmaking. It was printmaking but with typography, you know, so I really, I thought it was a glorious thing. And I was doing these, um, I liked E. E. Cummings. I really liked E.E. E. Cummings poetry. I I've met I've introduced him at school and I really thought his deconstructed language is fantastic. Yeah. And from there, I think one of my tutors said, oh, you should look at people like H. and Verkman and you should look at people like, um, Stephen and the poet, will look at uh, the concrete poetry, you know, typewriter art and stuff. So I've kind of begun to be interested in all these things. And I was doing these little sets of postcards every month about things I've read or things people have said, hmm. making typographic interpretations of them and sending them out in the mail because I was interested in post art, postal art. Before the internet, people, uh, you had to put things in the post.
0: Yeah, awesome. like people are still doing that now, but it's, they also, then they post them online, right? So it's, you yeah.
1: But, so I thought I was really doing something interesting, and then someone showed me the work of Phil Baines, a, a typographer, he was about four years older, five years older than me, and he'd been at the Royal College, and he'd done this amazing letterpress work, which was investigating the nature of reading and the grid, so it was slightly more intellectual than my ones. But they were very really similar visually, My just looked at his you know, letterpress, and it was all broken up letters, and he'd come to his kind of work looking at medieval, medieval manuscripts, and i come to my mm. kind of poetry, but... It ended up in fairly much the same place. So I went from thinking I was doing something really exciting and new to being finding out it was actually already been, not had it just been done, but it was quite recently someone was doing it. So I was in a bit of a, I was lost in my my shadowed forest, you know, I was at my <laughs> you know, my final year at this point. And uh, I didn't know what to do with my final major project. You know, I knew I wanted to make it letterpress, but I was lost in my little shadowed forest. And uh, I think I've been ill a lot of something, I remember someone buying me um, the, the Dante's Inferno by Tom Phillips mm. so, to, to get, as I get well soon present you know so I don't know what's what wrong with me I think some violent something. and uh that kind of really re- sort of made me think about Dante and then I was going on the tube and I am I do what I might do and it suddenly occurred to me I don't know why I thought I should actually illustrate you, Dante's Inferma with because I could see how I would illustrate that dark and shadowed forest, you know, I knew exactly how I would do it. And I went home that night and I got my stencil sets out and my inks and I started planning the first illustration. And I went into Chelsea the next day and I set the type and I printed it. And by the evening, I'd done it. Canto one, that was it done. It was simple, really simple.
0: And, well, there's something too about sort of working on a long work, like you, I mean, you started in 87 and, and then you went for- I think it was 89. I think, 89, actually. okay, sorry. Yeah. You know, no, was my
1: mistake. I said, I said it wrong somewhere on, on, on a bit of paper.
0: And then it gets duplicated everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, that's okay. I mean, 87, 89 at this point, you know. It's, but um, yeah, so when you started, did you have any idea that it would be such a, um, like you would be doing it for so long? Like in no, your-
1: no, no, not at all. Um, I had, it was a final major project. So I, in, I intended to finish the illustrations for, before I graduated for the Inferno. And I had a vague idea of doing the Divine Comedy, but I, at the time I was thinking, uh, the Macintosh. I always call it the Macintosh, because that's what it was called when it, when it arrived in 1984. Yeah. And everyone thinks I'm really old, because it's called the Mac, isn't it? It's a Mac now, not a Macintosh, <laughs> but I keep saying Macintosh, so everyone thinks I'm really old. Um, and I still say Apple Key, not, not Command. Um, so the Mac had just come out, and at Chelsea we had them, the little Mac Pluses, the tiny ones with black and white screens. Right. And I found that I didn't, I didn't really use computers at all. We didn't have them at school; we didn't have computers, and I wasn't. I had friends that had computers, but I didn't. We didn't have one at home, so I was completely kind of oblivious to, the, to what a computer was really. It a hard to to say, but I didn't really understand them. And I know that a friend of mine was talking about how amazing the interface was on the Mac because it was real. You had a bin, you know, you could put things in the bin as opposed to the green screen that you type code on. And I didn't understand why that was weird, because I didn't know it wasn't weird, you know. <laughs> that was innovative. And I found it hard to use the Mac. So I understood paste up, physically sticking things down. That, that made sense to me. And the Macintosh as a digital thing didn't. I found that really hard work. So I had this vague idea that maybe Purgatory, the illustrations of Purgatory, would use freehand on the Mac and do them on the Mac. Mm. And then for Paradise, I really admired several calligraphers, you know, at work. And I thought maybe I could learn calligraphy. Paradise would be this completely freeform calligraphic kind of experience but I'm not a calligrapher. I never have been, I never will be. No, me
0: neither.
1: <laughs> um, you know, and uh, sometimes rather embarrassingly, a long time later, I sort of finally worked out. So I ended up working on Inferno, and stupidly, I didn't move on to all three books at once. I just doggedly kept on with the Inferno until I'd finished it nearly. Then I moved on to Purgatory. But then I sort of saved myself Paradise, and I should have really done them all at once. <laughs> if I've done that, my, my lecture set wouldn't be quite so method, you know, some of it just falls apart when you try and use it. So
0: Well, that's part of the interest, though, of le- set, isn't it? That it, it's this fragile thing. I, Kate Suclosi has a whole, um, she wrote an essay that's jacket Two and also in Judith about the fragility of, and ephem- sort of ephemeral nature of it and yeah. the way it grades and that being part of its beauty. So,
1: yeah, just like if it didn't degrade quite so much when I touched it. You know, something just, <laughs> well. just falls apart or you, you rub it onto the page and then you, you blow away the dust and the whole thing just disappears, you know. <laughs> so I wish I started that a bit early. But so I finally worked out. The time I'd done it, I think, when I started my degree, certainly so my foundation course, letterpress was still just about commercially viable.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: by the time I finished my degree, it wasn't really commercially viable anymore. And typewriters, when I in the middle of my degree, typewriters were still a thing. You know, they were still yeah. being used in the in the library. People still typed out all the cards on them. They were still being used in offices. You know, my mum worked on a typewriter. And by the time I finished my degree, the, the Macintosh revolution, the Mac revolution, PC revolution, had kind of started. So letterpress and typewriters and and set became obsolete as I went through my education. So then that that kind of this idea of them being commercially obsolete things made, made even more sense. And I thought that, yeah, letterpress was the inferno. Purgatory would be the typewriter because it's, it's rigour would make it difficult to, mm. you know, to use creatively. And then paradise would be electrosex. I thought it would be like calligraphy. You'd be very free to place it on the page wherever you want it. Mm-hmm. The problem, of course, is that paradise is full of per- God's perfect symmetry.
0: So, letter <laughs> no, yeah. set <laughs> no, it's not part of that. No,
1: it's not part of set at all. So I'm kind of slightly thinking that's a bad idea.
0: But That's a humor. That's a that's nice. I, I I like that kind of um, com- that kind of opposite. Uh, <laughs> perfect symmetry and letter set. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a good combination. And if I did calligraphy, it wouldn't be perfect symmetry anyway. So I don't know. No, it
1: no same be here.
0: Yeah, I, I when I I was in we did um, in high school we because I'm in my in my late 50s we did t- we did typewriter we did typing classes at business office practice the girls were also taught how to wear makeup uh, which is another part of uh, apparently part of business office practice if you're a girl so and then um, I had to use uh, the typewriter when i was doing my translation degree at, at the university of ottawa here and this was this was in the um 80s in the in the late 80s um, i had a um i had a practicum at the um royal canadian at the rcmp the royal canadian mounted police headquarters and they made us use typewriters to do our translations which was just pain that was cruel i thought that they they had computers but we had to use typewriters so but uh, they were electric at least. But uh, yeah, my experience with the typewriter was always as, a, as an object of labor. Like I had to use it to type things out for like work or school or whatever. So I never saw it as a as something to play with until I started to see um, work by, actually, I think maybe the first first typewriter art I ever saw may have, may have been Gustave Morin's work. So, and I hadn't really seen letterpress either until until I got involved in the small press community here. And I've never myself played with letterpress too much. So I have never had the opportunity to. So I, I kind of, I envy people who have that, uh, have that. But so, yeah, so you, do, did you find there were differences in the way you approached the the processes as far as like working with the text for each, each different? Um, each
1: yeah, type? yeah, absolutely. Um, letterpress, I think, I find the easiest medium to work with. You're obviously limited by the amount of characters you've got, and yeah. the amount of patience you have. Because even if you've only got one character, you can print it, you know, over and over again uh, if you want. If you need to, you can you can write whatever you want. You just need to be very patient because you need to reset the type, you know, several times to get the, the entire sentence or whatever you do. And you have a variety of sizes of type. You know, anything from six point type up to whatever you've got in wood type you know, 30 lines if you're lucky so that i think is most flexible although you've got limitations because obviously you can only you have you can only use what you've got uh, the typewriter has the glory of endlessly repeatable characters if you want to have a whole page of A, you just want to sit there and have the a key you know you just sit there and type away you know, bang 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 as long as you can be bothered to sit there and type it you can have it but again, you're in it for the long haul. Yeah, it's not a you know, it's a seriously long period of time, and but it is very rigorous in terms of its monospace grid, you know, and, and breaking a monospace grid takes effort and placing things in the right place on the page, I still find absolutely a, a lottery for me. I know other artists you look at their work and they know exactly when that character will fall, you know, they just they just know. <laughs> and uh Also, of course, everything is the same point size. I've got different typewriters with different sizes of type, but they're they're very similar, you know, 10 characters to an inch or 12 characters to an inch. They're not hugely different. And I've got one typewriter, which has got a sans-serif font and the other ones have got serif font and I haven't got a italic typewriter or a script typewriter, which I would love to have, but I haven't got those. (laughs) So you're limited in terms of the the, the, the way the, 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 the type fills the page, you know, it fills the page in a particular way. And with lecture set again you're limited by the amount of type you've got um it's probably any probably most of it is between nine point and 72 point mm-hmm. you know and then once you've used it it's gone
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know that's in the typewriter you can endlessly type in the letterpress you can endlessly print but your lecture set is gone, it's gone.
0: yeah Which
1: is know, nice. so it, <laughs> yeah so that's it you've got one shot and then it's over and yeah, so I think that's quite a, quite an intriguing kind of way of working because you end up being, you know, realising that and some of it, you've got, I've got some beautiful lectroset forms, but they are perished, so they don't even rub down anymore. You know, they just mm-hmm. don't go anywhere.
0: That's sad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, you know, you might as well frame it and keep it as an object because it ain't going to go anywhere.
0: What might have been, it's one of those, it's back to yeah. the lonely hearts. Lonely yeah. heart lecture set. Yeah, would be a very cool thing, yeah, and and oh yeah. So I've already asked that question already. <laughs> so what what do you think the the I the the thrill of obsolete technology is for you? Well, I mean, you weren't when you were working on it. it wasn't It was sort of gone obsolete, but but now now if you if you're using it now, what do you think? Uh,
1: I think well, I'm Rudy van der Lenz, so we reading an article about him in Emigre magazine, and Emigre was glorious. Did you have you ever read Emigre magazine? Have you seen it?
0: Oh, it
1: was amazing. It came out in 1984. Rudy van der and Susanna Licko were Dutch designers who were emigrated, and they went to San Francisco, I think, or Los Angeles. And uh, they felt homesick, so they produced a magazine. Hmm. And it was a massive A3 folded. It was A3 magazine, so A2 folded. Really big format. And originally it was the first issue, the first two issues were paste up. they used typewriter type to generate the copy because they didn't really have any money to do. I think they were, they couldn't afford to get typesetting done. But then they ran a studio, a design studio, and they invested in a Mac. And Susanna I became very interested in typefaces for the Mac and digital fonts and bitmap fonts and getting fonts because they had black and white screens. And the magazine, they still pasted it up, but they generated a lot of the text from the from the Macintosh, from the Mac. Okay. And, uh, it was a phenomenal thing, it really was. And then the magazine became a sort of mouthpiece for the fonts and-
0: a Mouthpiece for the fonts, I like that.
1: Too. Yeah, he was, you know, he was saying we had a font foundry basically and every issue you did, you were selling your, you were showcasing oh. the fonts. Yeah. And he used a piece of obsolete software. He did paste up and then a piece of software that became obsolete quite quickly to, to, to generate the copy because he said I was better than, better than it was. I could do more than the software could and I knew oh. the software. And then they you know, had to upgrade to quark or something because his printer upgraded and was,
0: Clark, oh gosh yeah okay yeah. And, <laughs> and, and,
1: and i feel the same i think with a, with letterpress i am better than the technology i know exactly how it works i know mm-hmm. exactly what it can do and i know exactly how i can mess with its head and with typewriters, <laughs> i know how they work i right. know what they do and i can mess with their heads so with lecture but with digital technologies, InDesign, Illustrator, Photoshop, they keep upgrading it. And oh, I'm never, ever yeah. as good as the software, ever. Yeah. You know, And even a piece of software that I use a lot, InDesign, and I teach students, and they use InDesign. Oh, it's a Cracker Jack. I don't know what it it's does. There's loads of features jack. I have no idea
0: about. I, I, with Photoshop, you know, it's funny, I started working on the Vispo Bible in 2015. And I started with Photoshop, and at one point, I tried, it it, they're doing upgrades so constantly, I couldn't do, like, the work I did for Genesis, I cannot repeat that, those processes, because they've changed so much. Like, I use this transformation uh, uh, thing, tool, and uh, it's changed so much. So for a while there last year, I switched to Illustrator and I, I figured out how to do a few things in Illustrator. But I, I, I again, I'm, I'm a, I haven't been working on it very much because they keep changing it so much. Like it's it's almost too much. Like there's only and I the the difficult thing I think with using digital technologies, you can overdo it right you can you can just keep and that's what happens to me I'll make a big mess like it's just gonna be I love layering the text over and over again like that's my happy place to just keep layering and layering it and but I mean for other people it's just a big mishmash mess like they don't know what the heck it's not anything you know it just becomes a like it's like when you when you try to make color and you just end up making brown because yeah that's that's what I do (laughs) visual poetry when I digital but I can't what for me I'm physically uh I find it just I'm I'm so uncoordinated, untalented with my hands that I find it difficult to do. They like people do some great. uh, They do all kinds of things. If I try to do things like collage and so. Well, I mean now I've learned that it's okay for things to be not perfect. But my stuff is definitely not perfect. Like every I make. um, I used to make. um, stoneware um, pottery and my, my instructor said my work was charmingly uneven and I said much like my character so you know that's it I think that anything physical that I do is going to be charmingly uneven so which is fine but you know when you're thinking you're supposed to master something and you're supposed to learn how to do it well and then you've got this cockeyed you know <laughs> collage with it it just doesn't work so so uh, to, to, to personal satisfaction but I can get a, a feeling of satisfaction when I have managed and I would say that everything I do um, for for visual poetry when I do digital stuff, it's all accidental. Like it's not. I, I it doesn't matter. What, I could never say I want it to be this shape or this whatever. Like I, I I've tried that and it always ends up becoming something. Let's call it abstract. You know. Like I actually did a project where I was doing um, um as part of the vispo Bible called So Many Silence, So Many Unnamed, where I was taking the most misogynistic. Um, Text from the Bible as much as I could find and from other uh, Christian thinkers and grafting it onto like you know using the clipping mask to put it onto um, women's bodies basically in articles of clothing and that was as close as I've come to making things match the actual an actual shape that is recognizable by anyone as anything so but it's all it's almost all just serendipity for me like I don't really I, I, I've already surrendered to the overlords of, of the computer. Like they've, they've already, like that's it. I'm a, I'm a slave to the computer. Whatever it wants me to do, I just do, you know, so that's that's it. So there's never any, there was never any really. And I, my visual poetry started with, with um, using digital. I never did, uh, phys, I never did any of those other things. I, I didn't start, I didn't learn about visual, even the existence of concrete or visual poetry until about 2005. So, you know, I didn't know it existed. Oops,
1: <laughs> I feel quite jealous then, because you've, you've done a huge body of work from a, <laughs> from a standing start, and I've been involved in it for years and years. i I've hardly you know, I'm only as a starting. You know.
0: Yeah, but nobody's invited me to Munich. Actually, it wouldn't matter if <laughs> I can't. I'm I'm afraid of flying, so I can't. I can't go. So, I, and I don't like ships either. So it's fine. I'm <laughs> I'm not jealous at all. But I, I think I think you you your work has a tremendous impact, uh, and uh, I think it's it's you know I. I don't think you can complain. It's great. <laughs> you do do great things. Uh, can we talk also about uh, typewriter art? The great anthology edited by you, which is is I finally I, I know when we started to talk about it uh, when I was working on Judith, I I only had I had it on my Kindle, I remember, but I did finally buy a a copy of the actual book, and so it's beautiful. Like it's just uh, it's necessary to have it as a print book i mean obviously but uh, i was i needed to i needed it in a hurry at the, then right so
1: i was uh yeah I, I the case from press began its life really at edinburgh i talked to edinburgh there was a student okay. union magazine called the we read herring and it, I, I, I i kind of wanted to showcase what the students were doing so we kind of produced it as a I Tried to make it a different you know, slightly more ambitious thing but and uh we printed it from the case room, at Edinburgh. The, the composing room in the in the UK, in England, it's a composing room where you have all your type. And in Edinburgh, it's called in Scotland. It's called a case room, so oh. it's a case room. And we ended up uh, making the issues independently of the student union because they were becoming more about showcasing the design work we were doing. Rather than that. originally, I wanted to try and involve the whole art school. Because it was a student union magazine, but because I was obviously working from a graphic design, visual communication course, I ended up getting a lot of content from those courses. So it wasn't, it didn't really have the, really, it should have done. So anyway, we did an independent issue, that was the case from press and the case from. And then I went to Glasgow and uh, a bit busy, and I didn't do very much in terms of that until I went to Lincoln. And then I restarted it as a case magazine, the Case from Press. And I met Philip and we started the Case from Press as a kind of more um, open artist book collective. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do, I really liked Adam Madel's book. Um, I had a tutor called Alan Barker at St. Martins. He was a fantastic, fantastic guy, a painter, and um, quite famous and did loads of He, did, he knew Alan Madel. And he had a copy of Alan Medell's typewriter art book and the, t- the corner of it was chewed by Alan Medell's girlfriend's parrot. <laughs> Alan Modell's girlfriend wrote the Sloan Wages Handbook. She was a writer and wrote the Sloan Wages Handbook in the eighties. <laughs> anyway, and uh, Alan Barker, uh, after I finished St. Martins, I went back to I, I had a three years trying to get into art school and I did various jobs. I was, I was a, a janitor, a schoolkeeper at one point and a, <laughs> and a screen printer and a poster artist. And the Mac, the Mac killed the paste-up industry, yeah. you know, pretty much all night. And uh, I did evening classes and things with Alan Barker doing life drawing and stuff. And it, was, it was so helpful, so supportive. He was such a lovely, lovely tutor. And uh, we were talking about what I was doing at Chelsea and I mentioned some of the people I was looking at, H.M. Wergen and the people. He said, so I've got a book you, you might like. And he brought it in from me, and said, you can have this if you want. And it was Alan typewriter typewriter anthology. Which I thought was glorious, and, you know, it's this beautiful thing, yeah. and it—it it, it was a. I just thought it would it, oh, be lovely to do a new edition of it because it, 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 you know, it was it made in the seventies, and this was he gave me his copy in the late eighties, I think, or mid eighties, you know, ten years later. And Alan Medela died um, just after he put the London show, the London Edinburgh show, on and wrote the book. He was playing an, another show. And he died of a brain hemorrhage, I think, quite unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. So, the kind of nascent typewriter art movement, you know, it's all very it's individual people doing stuff. And he kind of brought this thing together. And then when he died, it kind of lost that tipping point. And it, mm-hmm. didn't, it didn't happen. So, I had this idea about doing a new edition of it or reprinting it somehow, the Vocational Press, because I was interested in it. And I remember speaking to Ken Coburn, the poet, about him that I work with a lot. And he said, Oh, you should really we should get more content if we can. And I tried to find out, it was published by London Magazine Editions originally, and the copyright had changed hands several times because LME had had gone bust or been bought out and bought out by somebody else. So I'm trying to find out at various points who owns the copyright on the book if I didn't get to reprint it. And uh, I can't remember quite how it came about, but Lawrence King Publishing. Were interested in publishing, I don't know, I had a conversation with Joe Lightfoot who worked at Lawrence King, I can't remember, she might remember how, how it happened, but they were quite keen to talk to academics about writing books for, for design students. And I'd, I'd arranged a meeting for her to come to Lincoln. I think her family, her mother lived near Lincoln I think or something, because she was, it was on, she, she knew it and she came to meet us all and we had a big, she met all the staff and we sort of were talking about book ideas with her. And I mentioned typewriter art and she said, you know, I don't even know what that is. Yeah, and uh, then I was on the on the panel for a bit to review books and look at books. I think uh, any book I didn't like, she, she she published and it was very successful. So <laughs> i had the kind of the wrong, if I didn't like it, it can be really successful. And uh, every time we met, or well, we had to, you know I'd meet in London and, and go for coffee or something would always and she said she'd always email me later saying it only took you five minutes to mention typewriter or it only took you 10 minutes or it only took you four lines in the email to mention typewriter so it's a kind of running joke and i put a, I put a post up on the case press website asking for contributors so i had a few people i didn't you know i don't do social media i'm very bad at social media so i'm not really good at any of that stuff so i don't really have any great you know uh, uh, presence and uh, I had a few people email me with their work and I sort of had it archived. At, at some point I'd, I'd get around to doing a book of it. And then it must've been about six years after I met Jo, she sent me this email saying, I can't believe I'm writing this email, Barry, but could you actually put a proposal together for a book on typewriter art? <laughs> because two or three people that they published had mentioned independently they'd seen typewriter artworks recently and seen stuff. Mm. One of them it, you know, so she said this actually might be a thing. So I put my proposal together and it got accepted by Lawrence King. They decided to go for this book. Wow. And it was, I know it was a big punt for them. It really was because it's a niche market. You know, they had yeah. no idea whether it would sell. So I know it was a big risk. And uh, I was going to design it and uh, write it. I didn't want to design it and write it. I wanted someone else to design it, really. Right. I didn't want to do both, but they said because it's um, because it's such a risk, we think you need to do you need to do it all really because we you know, you need to, <laughs> we, we uh-huh. can't afford you not to. So I did some layouts, but my layouts are based on the Anna book, which is very simple. Which you know basically is a plate per page, yeah, you know, and there's not a lot of variation to it. And uh, Angus Highland is, a, is, is the art director for Lawrence King, and he saw my layouts, and he just said, "These are not Lawrence King books." I think he said it in quite a blunt way. Oh. But the polite way is that this isn't, you know, this is not what we do. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't right for Lawrence King, and um, which is fine. But I hadn't really been briefed on that. I didn't really, I didn't think about that. You know, I just thought this is my vision for my book. Yeah. So they they suggested. This is slightly less polite version. <laughs> they suggested that uh, there, might, there might be a designer that could, could, could design it uh, if, if I was happy to write it, which I was, because I didn't want—I didn't think I could manage to do both and my day job, you know, as teaching. Yeah. Uh, so John Dowling that I worked with, I talked with, ran, ran a studio, and he lived in Newark, which is uh, only about half an hour on the train he talked with us one day a week i really like john he does lots of book design work so i said it would not be okay to use john dowling because we, we we can meet and we can you know collaborate closely it's only half an hour away. and they they've, they've worked with him before and they commissioned him and he did he designed the book so I, I wrote it and he designed it and it was a really lovely working relationship for me and john's phenomenally talented you know um, so the, the book owes a lot of its presence to, the, to, to them, and to Joe Light for taking this huge kind of risk, really, on this book because I think it was a real punt for them. It was no idea if it was sell, you know, and I had this theory, it ended up in the pound land, you know, so in the pound land shop for the bargain book, you know. Yeah. But uh, apparently it sold out. So.
0: Oh, that's great. Well, I first heard about it from um a dear friend of mine, um, the Irish visual poet and writer, Susan Connolly, who uh, she loves the typewriter and she's in love with this book. And she, she told me, she's the one who told me about it. And, uh, and that's how i first heard about it and that was only that was only during the making of judith as well so it's only really been since 2019 2020 maybe yeah 2020 is one. so i'm very new to it but it's a beautiful book and it's just so crammed with information and so crammed with beautiful work and you can really go down lots of rabbit holes i really i love it so uh, i'm glad that you uh, made it and what uh, do you think that if if there were to be a second edition of the book are you listening Lawrence king <laughs> what do you think <laughs> I'm, I'm... What do a, you you would do differently, or and would you add additional? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, so I, I, when I read the Alan book, I thought, you know, that's a fairly good representation of work. It must be the same again now, 20, 30 years later, you know, it was 1970 like when he wrote it, and it was 40 years later, 70 years ago, I thought, well, could we double it? So when they were saying to me, what kind of word count, what kind of picture count, I kind of doubled what he had done. And then when I was researching it, I found out that I had no idea, you know, is that thing, is that thing about being, you're unconsciously incompetent when you begin something, aren't you? Is that, yeah, you you begin by being unconsciously incompetent and
0: naively, naively naively incompetent.
1: incompetent. And then you become consciously incompetent when you realize how much you don't know. Then you become consciously competent, where you can do it back to think about it, and you become unconsciously competent, where it's second nature. And I thought I was kind of consciously competent about typewriter arms. I knew about it, and I knew the concrete poetry movement and everything. And I discovered that I was completely incompetent because there was so much more than I even dreamed was. Yeah. And we could have had the book. The book could have been twice as big as it was, with the amount of people that were out there. And the amount of people I've discovered since the book went to yeah. press, I found it even more. And I was supposed to, I planned, um, this is my embarrassment, I never told anybody this, but uh, there were several things that we couldn't get copyright on. One of the lovely things about the book was that a lot of the people are still alive, but they're quite old. And there was lots of email conversations with people that I'd long admired the work of.
0: Right.
1: And their daughters would get in touch on behalf of their mums or dads, you know, hmm. the artists, because they were you know, very elderly. And you'd have these connections with these people that you'd long admired. And some of the people didn't know where the work was anymore. Some people had died, the work had disappeared. Some so we couldn't, getting copyright was quite difficult. Oh, yeah. And Bill, Bill Bissett was wonderful. Bill Bissett said that anything that he published, we, we, happy, we could republish. You know, he was quite happy. So for us to take anything that he published in his magazines, we could republish. And there was one illustration I wanted to include. And the only ver- copy of it was in a magazine that I've got. And um, I had a really wonderful, I had a wonderful, Joe Lightfoot was my commissioning editor, Jodie Simpson was my editor, <laughs> incredibly patient, I think. And I had a really, really lovely picture editor as well. She was fantastically good. And she found all these different things, you know. And uh, she found that the, the, the magazine that I had this piece of work in, that I wanted, had been bought out by another publishers in the 1970s and mm. bought out again in the 1990s by another publisher, so it's owned by a very big publisher. Then she got hold of them, the person that was now the owner of the rights of this book published in the 60s, magazine in the 60s, and said, so we'd like to use this piece of work for the uh, typewriter. And they said, oh, yes, it will cost you 500 pounds for the English rights. Oh. And we said, well, we haven't got 500 pounds. It's, the, the book really is on a low budget. You know, it really is a punt. For, yeah. you know, we don't have a huge budget. And they said, well, it's 500 pounds. We can't have it. And I oh, was so annoyed, it, this wasn't even theirs. The person making this decision wasn't yeah. even alive when the freaking magazine was published. And it was published by somebody that has nothing to do with his publishing house, nothing to do with the one that owned it before. And it was in complete obscurity and all we were asking to do was republish it and it would make no difference to them at all and they'd
0: get a credit anyway for that it
1: would be a credit in the book yeah, and yeah. they, they wouldn't they wouldn't have it so we didn't publish it and there's lots of things where we couldn't find the copyright or we couldn't find the artist to agree the copyright or we had an image like we had the image from the Model book but we couldn't get hold of anybody that would be, be okay to sign off the rights to use it, because again, LME London magazine editions have been through so many different copyright holders, mm-hmm. Anna Modell had died, Anna Modell's girlfriend at the time had died. So there was lots of frustrations about what we could include and couldn't include. And Lawrence King were really fastidious about the copyright issue, you know, like you have to make sure it's all, yeah. it's all correct. And there was one lovely one, there's a beautiful portrait in the original Anna Madele book by uh, Zoran Popovic, and we couldn't find Zoran Popovic. Uh, my, my, my picture editor emailed, so I, just really, I, I, I can't find anything from Zoran Popovic. So I had a look online and I found a Zoran Popovic. So I emailed Zoran Popovic and said, I'm sorry, I don't know if this is the right person. I'm looking for a typewriter artist, Zoran Popovic. Um, I'm editing a, a book of typewriter art and uh, I'd really like to include his work, but I can't, you can't find his contact details. I'm just reaching out and I hope it's you. Thanks very much, Barry. I didn't hear anything back, didn't reply. And uh, about two months later, I had this email. And it said, Dear Barry Tote, the typewriter man, my name is Zoran Popovic, the typewriter artist, whose work appeared in Anna Modell's book, Typewriter I was passed your email on by Zoran Popovic, the filmmaker, a friend, <laughs> a friend of mine, who passed your email on from Zoran Popovic, the poet, a friend of his, who passed your email on from Zoran Popovic, and it ended up a student, I'd emailed a student who'd known another Zoran Popovic, and he passed it on to Zoran Popovic, <laughs> and we had this, and finally got hold of the right Zoran Popovic, and he sent all this work. We had about six different illustrations in the book, I think. Oh, we had the options to use them, which we hadn't been seen before, and that was quite glorious. That was really glorious, you know.
0: It almost like, sounds really? like a Woody Allen film or something, oh. <laughs> the mini Zoran Popovic, <laughs> <laughs> and the type
1: there were so many people that had, their work had fallen out of favour, or the you know typewriter right, hadn't been popular, and there was suddenly it was really lovely this kind of resurgence from just in their work, mm. you know that was gloriously lovely. And uh, I, I'd originally the stuff we couldn't get. I'd originally planned on the last page it's blank, the last page apart from the little thank you to the kids uh, for letting me use the, the computer, not not for Minecraft. And I, I had this big, I had this text which was loads of website you know, um, to look at and, and archives resources and some links to things that we couldn't get copyright for, but the stuff was on the web, you know. Right. Um, so I had all this stuff that I was going to put, and I forgot to send it to John. I forgot to send <laughs> it to him. So when the book came out, I thought, Christ, the a whole fucking page missing in the back. <laughs> um, <laughs> But not that it matters because no one's expecting it, but it was just an extra little thing that I thought would have been quite nice to include. If I'd been canny, I'd have set up a website or a Twitter page or something and put it on that. But you know, it's, it's beyond me. So. <laughs> well,
0: that's great, and and I think too. I mean, I've I've noticed. Um, I mean, when just researching for Judith, there's it feels like there's a real resurgence with um, young people and using the typewriter for for typewriter art or, or, or visual poetry. So, um, like, I mean, I, I was, I mean, I knew about um, PSW's work uh, sometime before um, we start started the book, but and, and then through um, through her magazine to call to, there's been all kinds. I've I've seen all kinds of typewriter work, and I I've I done a lot of um i had to do a lot of research you and i did a lot of research for um for the um, for judith as well and at one point we were thinking of calling ourselves the vispo detectives because we had to do all this all and not so much copyright because we were dealing with living um
1: yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: artists mostly. and the only yeah we, we we had some good um we were able to get you know work with contributors basically in progress but to put together the list of um 1100 and whatever women making visual poetry where that was I did all that through like I had to, I talked to all kinds of different people and so did Joachim. and yeah just it does feel like detective work when you're when you're working on an anthology and trying to get all that and there's yeah. all kinds of people you'd like to include like um, I, I'm actually quite impressed with the number of women that are making typewriter art especially and I find that a lot of them haven't like you hear more about the men so it's kind of fun to. To um, I think that if you did another edition, you'd have a lot more women in the book, for one thing, with, this, with the current. Uh,
1: yeah, no, I agree. There's, 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 yes, I've got a list. of. I mean, I don't think this, I mean, Lawrence King took a, a huge punt, I think. And one of the things, I know that the, the Sackner's, the Sackner Archive, Ruth and Martha Sackner. Yeah. But, um, there was a book of Dom Sylvester's work uh, by occasional papers. Nicholas Simpson had written an essay for them, and they own, I think they own nearly all of Dom Sylvester's work. I think wow. it's in the VA. They've got a huge archive, and they, they allowed that they'd, they'd let them use all the work they have in their archive for the book. So they have the biggest repository of typewriter art in
0: the world. Yeah, it's amazing. And
1: Lawrence King had, had, had agreed to publish, you know, a signed a big contract with them. And the first thing I did was go through the online archives of the Sankmas because I thought, well, uh-huh. that's the place to get all the images because they've got all the work. And I emailed them with this request with, a, with this list of images and they decided that they were going to do their own book. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, they sent their proposal to Lawrence King about what they would publish with all these images. And it was, you know, <laughs> okay. I think it was the list that I sent. that they said, look. <laughs> but it was a different kind. of, They said it was Lawrence King said it was a very. they were great Lawrence King they said you know we 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 committed to you. We signed the contract with you. You're the person that championed this stuff, so we we are going to stick with you. And wow. uh, <laughs> they, they're not. It's a different kind of book. They they thought it was a different kind of book that the publishers wanted to do. I think mm-hmm. Thames and Hudson picked their up. Yeah, it's a
0: giant. It's a giant book. It's quite large. Yeah,
1: it's on my shelf. They had images, presumably they bought they bought a lot of they buy it or did buy it, they, died yeah. they bought an awful lot of work. They were, you know, buyers of, of concrete poetry and typewriter art, particularly. And usually if you sell your work to a collector, the collector doesn't have the image rights to the work. No, own. yeah. So they can't sell postcards of your work used to learn the image, but they own the rights to the, the work. But the loads of stuff that we couldn't get copyright for was in the Thames and Huston book and it was owned by the segments. So presumably when they bought people's work, they, they must have had a contract which said that we, we can use this.
0: Yeah, you know how you know. contracts are they're never in favour of the writer are they? Usually yeah. So, so uh,
1: yeah. they they were, they had permission to publish because they owned the original. Yeah.
0: Because there was stuff
1: that we I like, couldn't get we couldn't get copyright for I and mean, they, they put it in their book. But it's a very different book from yeah different book from mine. Uh, yes. But I think because, you know, there's 40 years and then two books come out at once pretty much, you know, it's six months later, I think, have it come out. Um, I think they're probably, any publisher probably thinks that the market must be quite saturated, uh, which is a shame because I think there's there's a whole wealth of new work
0: out there. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I, I'd i love to see, I'd love to see another, I'd buy another, well, you have one one customer for a second edition anyway. <laughs> You know, and I maybe my friend Susan as well. I think she would definitely want it. So, so there you go. Um, the uh, one thing I want to say too is about since since I, it sounds like uh, the typographic Dante is, is finished.
1: No, well, no, 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 no. no. I, 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 went, I, I there are a hundred illustrations for the hundred cantos, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I, I did one of the things that I, I always thought it was going to be was I always, always, I always wanted it to be published as a book. You know, I wanted it like Tom Phillips's in I Yeah. To, and none publishers ever shown any interest in it no. at all. I did a couple of talks. You know, when, it, when it's been on an exhibition, I've done talks about the work. And it was incredible. You know, to, to, if someone had told me when I was a student, you know, you're going to work on this project for 30 years, Yeah. Not really, and it's going to be exhibited in the, the South Bank Centre in London. And it's going to be exhibited in the food market, Gallery the National Print Museum in Dublin, uh, and in the, the National Centre for Craft and Design. And you're going to get to go to Munich because of the. Of the yeah. Museum. I'd have been bitten around off, you know. And I was doing a talk about the work and saying you, know, you had this you had exhibition in London, you, know, you had this exhibition in the South Centre, but nothing happened. Which I, I meant no publisher stumbled across the exhibition and thought, "Oh God, we must publish this bloke." Right. And someone said, you know, for most people that you would have ticked off all the boxes of their dream come true you know it's been exhibited in major venues
0: yeah but you need a book. i agree with you 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 want the book i want the book as well i want the book so you've got another customer right here tell (laughs) the publishers Uh, at least one
1: So, so there's always this sense of it not being finished because it hasn't been published yeah and i another talk i gave somebody spoke about you know your life's work Mm-hmm. I thought it's not really my life's work, it's just taken a long time. Yeah, really? Because uh, I've done other stuff, you know, I've, I've taught, you know, I've taught graphic design as a day job for, you know, for years. And I've worked as a freelance designer and I've done various jobs at various levels. I, you know, family and uh, I've uh, part of the collective, the case press, I make artist books which have nothing to do with the yeah. day. At all. So it's one of the things I've done, it's just taken a long time. And then I thought, maybe it is my life's work. Maybe I should take it more seriously. (laughs) You know, maybe I should really actually knuckle down and and sort this out and actually think about this as being something I should really be doing. Because I've done it off and on, you know, not obsessively. I didn't go home every night and work on it. You know, sometimes it was years before I, I did another print. But I'd be thinking about it, you know. But I never, you know, depending on whether I had access to letterpress or you know, the time or the energy or whatever. So I thought maybe it is my life's work, maybe I should take it more seriously. So Tom Phillips did the Inferno and he did one illustration per page. Well, every double page spread. So there were four right. illustrations per canto. So he did about 130 illustrations for it. Mm. And I thought, well, I've got hundred and I want, to reach, I want to beat Tom Phillips. I want, to get more, I want to do more than Tom Phillips. So I thought I'd do two illustrations for each canto. So I started round two.
0: And ah, so
1: now on two. round two. Uh, and I, the ambition is to have 200 illustrations. And then I spoke to somebody about it. Uh, I, had, I was very lucky. Um, it, again, this is the thing that it's a gift that keeps on giving. Uh, there's a man called Gervais Rossa, who is uh, a professor, or whatever they call them, at uh, St. Catharines College in Oxford. You know, he's a, a, one of the big, big, proper, proper academics. And he is a Dante scholar and he teaches mm. Dante. And he was putting together an exhibition called Dante and the Art of Celebrity. Oh. And they have this exhibition of work, including Salvador Dali and Gustave Dore and uh, Botticelli and uh, Tom Phillips and William Blake and me. My work's in that
0: exhibition. Nice. <laughs> my work's
1: an exhibition. And uh, that's quite serious, isn't it? And um, I... I Talking. I was so I went to the private view and there was four, four or five artists that, was, that were in the exhibition that went along to it. And there was a lovely time, you know, I met these people and we were talking about Dante and they're all different. There's a beautiful German illustrator who does these wonderful miniatures and there's an Edinburgh fine artist who did lectures and paintings and things of it All over the years. And so it was really lovely. And uh, I said I was just working on it again, you know, to, to the second round of images. And one of them said, oh, you surely Dante's Fascination was number three. You should do three, pictures, three
0: illustrations. Oh, damn. <laughs> Oops. Yeah,
1: right. oh. okay, I'll do three. But <laughs> and then I bought, um, I bought uh, Sandra, uh, a new edition, uh, another edition, a, a, a version of it by um, Burke, Sandra Burke. And the illustrations and that, and, uh, and there's 73 illustrations in each book uh, for that one. So I think I've got to do quite a lot of work. I've got a, a 300. I'll, I'll go for 300 now. That's, that's my ambition.
0: Three hundred. Okay, well, we're, we're, I, I didn't. I haven't heard this, so I'll, I'll be. I'll be following it closely. If you were on social media, you would have like a little timeline. I've
1: For, got 108 done so far. 108. It, it,
0: that's good. Yeah,
1: but it, it, it's again, you know, it's a, it's a long process. There's two. Yeah. There's two two prints on the press at the moment, and they're all are all one of them's lots of curved lines type, which means setting the letter press onto the French curves and printing it. Mm-hmm. Can, do, can only do a line at a time
0: wow. because
1: of the way the illustration works. Uh, so that's going to take me. You know, if I do a line a day, that'll be thirty days, that'll be a month's worth of work. <laughs> You're well, you uh, out of I trouble. I haven't got time to even do that. You know, I need to find a lunch hour, so I can sit and do a, a line. Yeah, and have
0: interviews with Canadians. You know, <laughs> that takes a lot of time. I think.
1: Yeah, ideally, <laughs> my, ideally, I, I, I'd be able to. I'd have a rich patron that will say, "Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll pay yeah. for you to sit there and make your prints."
0: We're all searching for the rich patron. I don't know where they are. No, story.
1: I don't know either. i can not finding
0: them. So, if you're listening, rich patron, you've got a few people who would, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a I've got about uh, for the Visible Bible. I, I've, I've got about 320. Um, uh, images or pages of the, bio, basically, uh, you know, every book, every chapter, but the thing is, I, I've i sort of, I do, I, I noticed I was doing a, like, I would do, say, like, three books in the first year, and then now I'm down to one book a year, you know, so it's like, so it started in 2015. Things, I have a lot of other things going on as well, but um, we were supposed to uh, meet at this Canada Concrete Conference in, in yes, 2018. Yeah. So we yeah. and I, people were telling me about you as I was starting. I was only I I worked on the Vispo Bible and and people were, were starting to tell me about you. So that I'd heard of you for the first time in 2018, and I was interested uh, in in what you were doing. But then because you you weren't there, I didn't I didn't even there were so, no, so it really it's only in, in the last year or so that I that I've actually had the pleasure of finding out more about your work and, and stuff. Is is there anything else you'd like to add as we as we? Uh,
1: I was disappointed, bitterly disappointed, not to get to the the, the Canada Concrete thing. Uh, mm. I remember getting an email it, it, it was rare for to, to invite people from outside Canada, so I was incredibly touched. Mm. But it, uh, um, that's always with these things. It was uh, I couldn't afford to do it. I didn't have the money to go. I couldn't no. afford to pay for it. So I put uh, I put funding request into the university, <laughs> um, which they were very they were very excited about. But. It, it, the timings of the funding requests didn't match the timings of the, you know, mm-hmm. of the event. And then I was waiting for something and I realised that it was too late now. You know, you're patiently waiting for this thing to happen. Then suddenly I thought, fuck, it's too late. Sorry, this is uh, mm-hmm. I'll say that again so you can it out. So I thought well, suddenly I realized it was too late and it wasn't going to happen. And um, there was, I suppose now it would have been easier to do, to have done it, you know, virtually, yeah. It's not that time that was still i think they tried to set up no, try, yeah they
0: tried you were you were there just in case but secretly i was partly glad because i had then more time for my part so you know it's, i
1: would have to have been there i really would, no, have I, would
0: I would have been great i would have chipped in a little bit of money we could, maybe we could have passed the hat and brought you over you know
1: yeah I was, I was, I was, it. I was, it was I really was, good
0: that conference it was fantastic yeah, no, symposium, was, it was super interesting I'm not an academic any uh, uh, you know for a long long time so uh, but I was I was fascinated by the. I met all kinds of people that I hadn't I met Joanna Drucker you know it was it was thrilling the whole thing was a great experience for me as a as a sort of a, a lay person going into uh, it, for for an academic conference I like I, I've been to a few that had sort of I was a little bit interested in and this was like just so fascinating and there were so many interesting people. And I would, I would do the whole thing again. Like if, if there was a Canada concrete too, I would, I would, I would go to that. I would love to I would, talk I would, to Robert I would Stacey. Let's do, one. Let's do another one, Robert.
1: Heaven <laughs> and earth to get there. I would move <laughs> heaven <laughs> and earth to get there. I really would. I was, it was a long dark night of the soul that when I realized suddenly that it wasn't going to happen because you know, there, there wasn't enough time to get it sorted out. And uh, yeah, it was a, that was a, that was a bit of a blow, that one, because I thought that was a.
0: Well, that's it. We have to do something. We'll have to have something else. We'll have to bug uh, bug Rob St- Professor Stacy over at the University of Ottawa, and he's he's the chair of the English department there now. So he's probably really too busy for that. But uh, you never know. You never know. would Fun to do something. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we close close the uh, close the show?
1: Um. Well, I don't think so. something me that. Oh, I don't know, really. Um. All right. No, no. I think, uh, I think you covered it. But, uh, thank you for inviting me to talk, and it's been lovely to, to chat to you about it all.
0: Yeah, it's it's great fun. I, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while, so I'm glad we finally had a chance to. Uh, I finally, um, you know, had my had a chance to invite you and and have you come on as well. Okay, well, thank you for being on the show, Barry, and thanks to my husband, Charles, for processing, to Jennifer Peterson for the intro and outro music, to all of you for listening and sharing the episode. Stay tuned for episodes with Christine Snodgrass, Amelia Morgan and Stephanie Milosz of Coven Editions, Jennifer Mulligan to discuss the poetic elements of the poetic elements of film. And then in 2022, we'll be talking to Ellen Chang Richardson and Nina Jane Dristic of the Riverbed Reading Series and more. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the small machine talks. The small machine